Scott Thompson isn't worried about ruffling a few feathers. In fact, he kind of likes it. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Lurskin is on the board. The Freedom Convoy is heading to Ottawa. Wonder if the Prime Minister will ask for a ride and a chance to honk the horn. Here's Scott Hey, it's Hamilton today. And a wacky day it is. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Uh, we're going to be spinning trucking tunes today on this All Request Friday. So if you want to throw yours in there, uh, send us a note. 905-645-3221, star 9900 uh, on your cell. In the newsroom, Diana Weeks and uh, Dave Woodard keeping us abreast of what is going on. And we'll do so at the top and bottom of the hours with a sneak peeks on the, on the quarters. And we'll be joining us around the big round table to talk about about the issues of the day as well. We got a jam packed show. And, you know, I want to mention right now uh, the phone lines are open as they always are. And we, we encourage you to call in. And what we want you to do is uh, Will will record you and, and just give us a sentence or two of what you think of all of this stuff and, um, and what it's turned into. Uh, and let's be honest, it was once about uh, border. Uh, crossing and vaccine mandates. Now it's become a freedom convoy. And as Ken Mann, and we're going to play some clips from Ken a little uh, later, um, you know, he was out yesterday talking to the people and tons of people that were lining uh, the highway uh, from Niagara to Hamilton. And, and you know, a lot of well, most of them vaccinated and said, you know, it, it's not it's not about uh, reprimanding these people. It's about uh, education and it's about uh, lockdowns and so you know depending on who you ask this freedom convoy uh, whatever it is has taken on a meeting depending upon who you are and you know however all we seem to hear about is the fringe element that you know wants to you know rock it out like it's january 6th on the capitol and you know i, I think that's so unfair and you know i'm sad that it's got to this point i'm sad that we have a prime minister that divides us on everything from climate change to vaccination to gender and this is the result of that you know, uh, it's just, it, it's silly. And this disease, which is becoming an endemic, most people know somebody who's got it and, and moved on. And this is no longer about protecting us from COVID. It's about locking us down because we have to protect a failing healthcare system. It's not about people getting sick. It's about people uh, clogging up the healthcare system because it's inadequate. And that's why we're locking down. And I think people are just ticked with that. It's And, you know, it's time to stop pointing fingers at people. It's, stop, it's time to stop calling people misogynistic and racist because they're concerned or they're fearful or, you know, they just don't want to do it. You're not going to get 100% of the population vaccinated. So why are we dividing the country on this? And again, it's to take focus off the real problem, and that is... The lockdowns would be over if we could clean out our hospital system, if we could air it out, if we could get it moving again uh, with some sort of normalcy. But it, it, and that's why we're locked down now. We're not locked down because we're going to die of COVID. We're going to lock down. We're locked down because we can't 
overload the healthcare system anymore. So instead of focusing on, on people who aren't getting vaccinated, let's fix the system. Fix the healthcare system. That's what the problem is now, not COVID-19. Yet we, you know, we're getting caught up in all of this stuff. And, and now this, what was a, uh, a protest over border crossing is now it's taken on like 500 different meetings. And of course, the media just jumps on the wacky people that want to bring an end to the world. And I'm sorry, this is anarchists on the left. This is extremists on the right. It's extremists on both sides. It's extremism on both sides of the political spectrum. So, and of course, what, what happens in the midst of all of this? The message gets lost. Our health, our healthcare system doesn't, uh, it doesn't get the help that it needs. And, you know, we're, we're pissing on the last 10% of the trucking population, just like every other population that isn't getting vaccinated. These people who once helped us were our heroes. Now, you know, like th- this, this isn't Canada. We're in a democracy. I want to play you some clips. This is uh, a montage of clips from Ken Mann yesterday, and he had a very different opinion after talking to people. I shouldn't say that. Ken's got his own opinion. I don't want to speak for him. But he certainly gave us a different opinion uh, of what we've been seeing in the news, that this is all a bunch of redneck American style, this or that. These are people that are fully vaccinated, but are just tired of the policy. And it seems that's what the prime minister does. He doesn't want to talk to you about it. You either do it his way or the highway. And here's what Ken uh, got from some of the listeners along the route. Well, uh, I had a chance to talk to a few of the truckers, more of the supporters than the truckers overall. And uh, really what it comes down to, Scott, and uh, it's, it's the same message that we heard uh, during the election campaign, largely from the uh, People's Party group, uh, freedom of choice is really yeah. what it comes down to for for most or all of those that I spoke to who were, who were out there today. It's, it's a lot of those people that I spoke to today who were out in support were actually among the vaccinated. They made that point. Yeah. But really, uh, what their message is, is they're not going to hold this into the face of the 10% who are not they they say you know what if if that's the way they feel they should be allowed to feel that way and they shouldn't be forced Mm -hmm. to um stake their livelihood on on the vaccination issue and uh so really that's that's what this message today a lot of these people would like to to move on it's uh, for them it's a belief issue it's it's what democracy stands for and what they believe uh, they should be uh, allowed to do and and, uh, you know, when they make an argument like that, you, you have to... I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I want to say it properly, but, you, you, I mean, you want to respect everyone's point of view, right? Everyone Absolutely. Everyone has a position, and, and we live in a country where you're allowed to verbalize that opinion. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but, uh, frankly, I rather enjoyed a lot of the people I talked to today. They, they made some interesting points, not points that I necessarily agree with personally, but... It's things that they thought about and have been thinking about for a long time. Ken Mann uh, talking to us yesterday uh, on the route of the convoys that passed through with some of the people that were supporting it. And it certainly does present another side to the argument, uh, one that is certainly not necessarily being reported. 
obviously this protest has turned into uh, uh, a little something for everybody. Uh, and unfortunately, it's only the uh, the wacky element, the extreme element on both the left and the right that seem to get all of the media attention. And uh, what's really bothering people gets lost in the sauce. So if you want to express yourself, 905-645-3221, star, uh, star 9900 on your cell. You uh, can come on with us, or you can just record something with Will, and he'll play it. Uh, feel free. We would love to hear from you on this uh, <laughs> COVID Convoy Friday. Uh, let's bring in Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and forces, uh, former CSIS analyst about what is going on and what they can prepare for this weekend. Phil, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Absolutely, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for, uh, for the time. We, we greatly appreciate it. How do we separate uh, the, pro- uh, the protesters who uh, are, are trying to get their point out from the agitators that are trying to hijack it and create anarchy? How do we, because th- this happens often with protests. It does. You, you raise a really good point, Scott. And I think that I have the confidence that you know Ottawa Police, the RCMP, maybe even my former colleagues at CSIS are looking into this to see if there's any real possibility that There'll be, as you mentioned, a fringe ele- element might take this in a violent direction. But at the same time, Scott, I, I've been reading some remarks by politicians, including the public safety minister, who suggested this might end up as a violent overthrow of the Canadian government. Now, unless there's intelligence pointing in that direction, which you shouldn't be sharing with you and me anyway, uh, it's a little bit of a severe statement. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the forces will be in there, in place, to, to make sure nothing awry goes wrong and that doesn't, doesn't guarantee it. But this is building, you know, they've been building this for a long time across the country, Scott. And I think that the, they'll have the, they'll have the, pe- the men and women in place to make sure that nothing goes down a, a pathway that none of us really want. So what uh, what are security officials and law enforcement doing now? Obviously, as this is about to uh, it's pretty much starting in Ottawa now, but will obviously increase over the course of the weekend. What are they doing? How are they planning for this? Well, there's the physical security. So from what I understand that they've dedicated two lanes for the convoy in front of Parliament Hill, the whole the downtown will be closed, I'm assuming, so that we don't have, you know, angry citizens making the situation worse. And so from that perspective, there'll be an actual uh, measures in place to to ensure that the, phys- the physical nature of Parliament Hill is okay. On the other hand, as I said, I'd be very surprised if uh, the various law enforcement and security intelligence agencies uh, don't have their sources and their investigations in try to figure out if any one person or several persons wants to take this down that that un, un, unfortunate pathway. Uh, you know, I, like I said, this has been building for quite some time. So I'd be very surprised if, in fact, we don't have a fair bit of intelligence that would inform the government if, in fact, this thing is going to go down that, that terrible pathway. How do you think Canadians view this at this point? Because, as you said, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on, even from politicians, uh, which seems to, you know, I'm, I'm just still having a hard time believing this is all going on and that we're all so upset over such a small segment of the population and we become so divided by this. Uh, thoughts? Well, I, I think a lot of people are pointing to what happened last January, a year ago, January 6th in the U.S. Capitol, of course, when you had Trump egging on his supporters to you know, attack the Capitol, to steal back the election or to take back the election that was stolen by Joe Biden and the Democrats. And you're seeing a lot of comparisons being made in that regard. And, and maybe some of them are good comparisons, maybe some of them aren't. But it always worries me when you start saying that just because something happened a year ago in Washington, we're going to see a repeat performance here in Ottawa. And you're right. I think that from the perspective of Canadians, have all kinds of opinions on. I'm sure you have an opinion, Scott. I know I have an opinion, and we can agree to disagree. 
and we can agree to, or you know, people might say the government has no right to impose vaccine mandates on Canadians. The government thinks it does for you know general public safety. But let's let's just have a conversation about this rather than pointing fingers and saying that you're going to try and overthrow the government or you know the government's doing things that are beyond its mandate. Are you concerned that there are officials stoking the fire? Um, let's be honest. If something does bad happen, this plays in favor of the prime minister, does it not? I think it does. And this is why I pointed out that the uh, the public safety minister, um, Mendicino, said that you know he doesn't want this turning into a, an overthrow of the Canadian government. Is anybody really suggesting that these people are going to try to overthrow the Canadian government? Not yeah. that I've seen. I mean, they're going to make their point. They're going to protest. They're going to say that we don't agree with this. But again, unless there's intelligence, and I don't have access to intelligence anymore, Scott, I'm so-called retired. But unless there's some solid intelligence that someone wants to go down, you know, and, and try to actually do something, which we call subversion, which is covered under Section 2D of the CSIS Act, which we have CSIS priority, it is unhelpful, I think, for politicians to, to start using language like that. Phil Gursky, President of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, Director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and former CSIS analyst. As always, Phil, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, sir. Thank you. It is 327. News is becoming uh, is coming up at the bottom of the hour. And let's not forget this. Just like the stone throwing incident along the campaign trail, if this does go off the rails, it supports the prime minister. You have to remember that. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Uh, there's many reasons to have Ron Foxcroft on, and we've got about a half a dozen of them right here. Uh, joining us from Fox 40 World, creator of the Fox 40 Whistle, author of 40 Ways of the Fox, and CEO of Fluke Transport, Ron Foxcroft is with us now. Ron, thank you for the time, as always. Hope you're doing well. Doing really well, Scott. I'm I'm so excited. This weekend, I'm going to the Canada-USA soccer game at Tim Hortons Field. And next week, Max Kerman from the Arkells is coming down to Fox 40, and we're going to shoot some hoops. So, yeah, uh, obviously you asked for the Arkells to play you in. Something's going on here. What, what's going on? What can you tell us here about you, well, you and Max? I, I can't tell you too much, but we can hold your audience in suspense. Max and I are working on a great basketball product uh, process that's going to benefit the city of Hamilton. So, you know what? I can't give you too many details about that, but we're going to hold your audience in suspense, and we'll probably hold them in suspense, and you'll increase your audience by millions waiting to make (laughs) the announcement on the Scott Thompson show. But it'll be great for basketball, great for kids, and great for Hamilton. And Max is a fabulous guy, Hamiltonian, loves basketball, amongst other things, and a great ambassador for Hamilton and the Tiger Cats. When can we hope to hear this announcement? Do we know yet? Oh, probably in a couple months or so. So we'll increase okay. your audience for the next two months <laughs> by millions, and, and we'll announce it on the Scott Thompson Show. Is that I, a good I thought, deal? I thought maybe you were going to go up and play the bass for them uh, during a show or something like that. Oh, you know what he did? He went around me and hired Nick Nurse. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but then Nick Nurse has an NBA ring. So yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Much more important than Ron Foxcroft. And oh yeah, he can also play. He can play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I I played the accordion with uh, Bill Stirrup, the late Bill Stirrup. And yeah. We took lessons together. But Well, I maybe there's room had. for maybe there's room for an accordion in the Arkells. That's a conversation you can have with Max. Yeah, well, Lawrence Welk didn't hire me, so maybe Max will. 
<laughs> all right. So, uh, first of all, we, uh, I can't, uh, I have to ask you your, your impression on the combine. We won't spend much time on this because I know you want to talk about other things, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm surprised this has grown to the, the size it has. I'm disappointed, yep. uh, because I, I think this is just all divisiveness and, um, and, and, and so on. Anyway, your thoughts on, on where we are today. Short answer. Fluke transport are not involved. Uh, we support vaccines. And to be quite honest, we're too busy delivering groceries to Canadians. So we're really not involved. I'm, I'm just concerned. Let's hope it doesn't turn into any touch of violence down there once they get to Ottawa. All right, so let's talk about the fox chasing the coyote here. Uh, oh. and, and, you know, I, I saw the note, and this makes perfect sense. And, you know, I have a Fox 40 on my boat key, so if it cacks, I can I can blow that and, and the kit yep. you, that you guys have and all that sort of thing. But I was reading the story about the skier that was lost and had the, the whistle. And, you know, we often go for hikes out in the middle of nowhere by the cottage and stuff. And uh, this, it, and often wear a bell to keep the, uh, the, 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 you know, the wildlife away. But, man, you should have one of these whistles for you. It makes total you, sense with you. You really should. You know, the whistle is not a weapon. We don't want to hurt the coyotes. You know, we love animals. But the whistle can be used as a deterrent when, when you spot a coyote. Uh, Scott, the loud piercing sound will discourage the animal from approaching in a safe, non-aggressive mm-hmm. manner. The noise will also alert a bystander that you're in need of assistance and there's danger close by. So, you know, the, when, when you blow the Fox 40, the coyote is startled and he probably has a better chance of leaving because coyotes now in this treacherous winter conditions, they're migrating into urban areas. So you always yeah. have to be careful. It's a small elective tool. And, you know, Scott, I got an idea for Valentine's Day for you because <laughs> I know you're on the brownie point system with your wife. And sure. you're probably in a negative position now. So rather <laughs> on Valentine's Day and, and buying her expensive jewelry that she's only going to lose, why don't you buy her a Fox 40 electronic whistle and say, honey, I'm concerned about your safety when you're out walking because you may run into a coyote. Scott, what? you could gain brownie points for a year. You could get into a positive position with your wife and brownie points. I'm liable to hear that, Ron, right in my ear at about 3 o'clock in the morning from uh, in bed. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it does work, the she says. Patrol. The, yes. The, the ski patrol, um, we're the a whistle of the uh, Canada Ski Patrol, but we had a call yesterday from John from Whistler Ski Patrol. They had a skier wander off into an out-of-bounds uh, out area and get lost. Yeah. Darkness set in. They formed a search party to look for this skier because, you know, it was dark. It was cold. If they don't find him, he freeze to death. The search party in darkness heard this noise of a Fox 40 whistle from a distance. They found the skier laying in a tree well, injured. They yeah. saved his life. They, they saved him. So then, a couple hours later, we got a phone call from Manitoba. A, a fellow fall, fell off his snowmobile, broke his leg, laid on the ground. 
a coyote came towards him. He blew the Fox 40. It startled the coyote, and the coyote ran away. He then had a cell phone, called for help, got saved. So, you know, Scott, lesson here is coyotes are wandering into urban areas. We're doing more walking, particularly we do in the Bruce Trail with my dogs because of the pandemic. We're out there. Carry your Fox 40. It's not the be-all to end-all, but it's a fabulous tool to keep in the toolbox to keep you safe. When you uh, were designing this way back when and trying to get it off the ground and blew the whistle in that uh, residence where all the referees were playing in the middle of the night to get their attention, did you ever think that this would be as multi-purpose as it has become? Scott, I'm not that smart. I only wanted to make 300 (laughs) whistles to give to my friends that refereed basketball. And I never thought that in Canada here we'd be making, selling 15,000 whistles a day for search and rescue and safety and military and lifeguards and sport. I never thought, and I never thought we'd make them in color. And and my uh, the, the fellow that makes the whistle, I said, can we make them in color? He says, you know, Ron, you're not too bright. Yes, <laughs> we can make them in color. So we make them in every color in the rainbow, and we encourage ladies to keep them on their keychain for walking, particularly, Scott, in underground parking. It's a great tool. It's 120 decibels. And we now have the new electronic whistle that you're going to get for your wife for Valentine's Day and save you thousands of dollars because (laughs) she'd only lose all the jewelry that you were about to buy her. That's a very valid point. Uh, you're looking at this from all angles, Ron, as you always do. And make sure you uh, stay tuned for the t- the announcement between Ron Foxcroft and Max Kerman on basketball. That's coming up. Ron Foxcroft with us, Fox 40, uh, world creator of the Fox 40 Whistle and author of 40 Ways of the Fox. As always, Ron, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, put the convoy on hold for a bit and uh, pull into the truck stop and get some gas. Oh, my goodness, look at that. We're at record high prices for gasoline. It's not like uh, this guy didn't tell us it was coming. Dan McTagg is with us, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, and is with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, and uh, having just uh, released... uh uh, the the uh, mortgage for my firstborn. I think I feel better to get my next tank full. <laughs> so before we get to the prices, your thoughts on just what has transpired and what this convoy has developed into? Well, I think it's a metaphor for all the frustrations that the public has. It's not just about vaccinations. Obviously, uh, um, you know there are obviously some very r- rare and 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 you know, significant uh, anger in this country. And it's uh, being met, obviously, with uh, those who will look and say there are some pretty bad apples that are within that group. Uh, but I, I would not want to dismiss it for a, for a, for a minute. It's not a stunt. No. It's really a, a reflection on the fact that the Canadians are very frustrated. And, uh, uh, you know, energy is, uh, costs are just one factor. Uh, the, the mere fact that today we're looking at record prices much across eastern Canada, uh, for not just gasoline, for diesel, I think is just tip of the iceberg stuff. 
And, you know, we had a reporter out yesterday talking to the people who were watching the protests go by, and most are vaccinated, and that that's not the point here. As you said, it's become a metaphor for the frustrations of a lockdown, uh, trying to keep a hospital system that's been underfunded up and running. I, I think this has become a metaphor for a lot of things. Well, you know, where are you going to start? Uh, no yeah, one is happy. Yeah. Everyone's grumpy. Uh, but in, importantly... We have, uh, you know, and I, I, I speak with some experience here. We have a parliament which most parties, and that's not to, you know, deviate from, you know, the singular, but they tend to take the same views on pretty much a variety of issues. And, you know, the, the exceptions are often seen as a means to prevent the general public uh, from pushing forward. I mean, uh, take your pick. Uh, the very mere fact that the first thing I heard about this uh, convoy uh, was the fact that it might have extreme elements is a real, yeah. you know, I, I mean, a disservice for what is going on. And I think uh, disingenuous, but it, it, it is very much the way in which our politics has been discussed in this country is that we always look for some kind of fringe excuse in order to ignore the fact that so many people in this country feel truly legitimately disenfranchised. Very well said. All right. Why are we seeing these prices heading up to 150 now? Again, it wasn't like you didn't predict this. Uh, how do you describe the perfect storm? Uh, well, look, uh, the march towards $1.65 is on its way. When I said uh, we'd be at buck sixty-five at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future, we were at $1.40. So we're almost halfway there, uh, and for the same reasons. Uh, the world is undersupplied when it comes to uh, oil, uh, and much of that uh, is not just because of a pandemic or uh, you know, nervous producers uh, worried about another wave or a uh, uh, a lockdown globally, regionally causing a glut. It is because they can't get financing to be able to produce what the world so desperately needs. Every liter of oil that you use today, right now, every single liter is without replacement. So we're using up inventory. We're using up supplies that uh, are not being ex- explored. We're not looking for new replacement uh, barrels of oil. And so for that reason, uh, the world is short and uh, we're seeing these prices going up. It doesn't help that there is now a geopolitical issue a uh, big one in Eastern Europe, uh, in which Russia might attack. That's making a bad situation worse, putting tremendous pressure on prices, but they are related. Europe and other parts of the world would not be vulnerable if they weren't reliant on uh, uh, on uh, Russia for natural gas, if they, in fact, produce their own, as opposed to uh, spending billions of dollars for windmills that don't work when there's no wind, or solar panels that don't work when it's cold and when it's uh, when it's dark, which happens to be the case. So I guess, uh, you know, when you look at those two factors, you say, all right, I get why it's going to 87, 86, 88 dollars a barrel. But do tell me why uh, prices right now are higher than they were when oil was, in fact, you know, uh, seven and 12 years ago, uh, you know, uh, uh, when it was 140 dollars a barrel. Why are we paying uh, this much and far more? And the simple reason is your king dollar. It's lost a significant amount of value versus the U.S. greenback. So there's a loss there uh, of 10 cents a liter. Uh, and that, by the way, isn't just for such a massive amount of inflation that we're not taking into account. It has to do with the devaluation of the dollar. And I don't want to get technical or, or really difficult with people, but the reason the Canadian dollar is not, attra- is not doing well is because there's nothing in Canada that's attracting investments. Capital is leaving the country unless it's residential stuff. And so for that reason, so, uh, so let me know, ask Canada's you this, Dan. walking pipelines has now come back to Parliament. There you go. Uh, I've only got about 30 seconds left yet. I want to ask you, you talked about Germany now being a slave to Russia because uh, of the natural gas. Why are we not selling more liquid natural gas to Europe? 
because we have people blocking pipelines, because we haven't finished our LNG projects. We cannot help the world because we spent the past 10 years navel-gazing and blocking pipelines. That is what people in Toronto and Hamilton have voted for. And now, of course, these things are coming to have a significant geopolitical negative impact on the world. And it's, uh, it's very much uh, very predictable. But you, you dump on fossil fuels you, and you have no replacement, no alternative, you wind up paying a lot more and you wind up uh, creating and making uh, people like Putin a lot more powerful than he should be. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy and former Liberal MP. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Well, have a great weekend. Take care, Scott. You too. If you want to comment on any of this, here's what Corey had to say uh, on the phone line. Hey, Scott. Uh, my name's Corey, and uh, I was down at uh, Centennial Parkway there when the trucker convoy uh, was beginning, and uh, I was there with my 16-year-old son, and there was nothing but positive energy throughout. Like, a great vibe was there. Uh, talking with the numerous people down there, there was people from all walks of life there, and it was all the, the same sort of uh, saying there. It is just time to speak up, proclaim what you have to say, and be positive and strong. And the truckers are doing that. And that's, that's why they're getting the attention they are. All right. This is Andre. He is a driver. And let's remember, it's like 90% of the drivers, 85 to 90% of the drivers that are vaccinated. Their industry represents uh, or reflects the exact same as the country does. Here's what Andre had to say. I'm AZ licensed and have noticed that everybody who's talking about this on the radio, on the news, seems to be covering it from these little fringe outfits that are attached to it. The only thing anybody cared about and the whole reason this thing started was the mandate, solely the mandate. I'm not pro-vax, I'm not anti-vax, I'm not anything of the in the middle. Uh, I've already gotten COVID and gotten over it. The fact that you're trying to mandate putting something into somebody's blood or they lose their job and their career and can't pay their mortgage or child support maintenance or whatever their payment is ridiculous. And here's what uh, Steve has to say. He's got a different way of looking at all this. This is one of the most silly and pointless events that I've ever seen in Canada in my 65 years. I've never realized we've had so many idiots in Canada. All the best. You always do a great job. All right, there you have it. Uh, points of view all around. And uh, if uh, you want to have your say, feel free. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com or uh, give us a call, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. And uh, we'll record your get you on live, whatever we can do to uh, get your message across. And again, all we're doing is asking what your impression is of the convoy, uh, what your thoughts are on all of this. Uh, has the message been lost uh, to the extremes on both the left and the right? All right. Uh, obviously, uh, we have watched uh, the convoy on its way to Ottawa take uh, different forms, different shapes and sizes, uh, different extreme elements jumping on board. Uh, as Dan McTagg said, it's become sort of a metaphor for frustration. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, as always, the message kind of gets lost when uh, it gets hijacked by the extremes. Uh, that being said, it was interesting uh, with Ken Mann doing reporting yesterday along uh, the protest route and how many people there uh, were supporting this, uh, not necessarily because of the mandates that everybody hears about, but because of they're tired of the frustration. They want to move on and um, and and have done everything that they wanted to or have had been asked to do and, and feel it's time to do so. And, you know, we're locking people down, not for their safety, 
uh, from a disease, but because it's crippling a healthcare system, which nobody seems to address. It's unfortunate we're not spending more time addressing our Canadian healthcare system that's been neglected for decades, as opposed to following convoys, which really just becomes a, a, a you know a, a driver for political discussion. I guess let's bring in Peter Grave, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing and uh, culminating in Ottawa and uh, what has become a, a, of a protest that's, uh, it seems to be a metaphor for frustration. Lots of fringe elements have jumped on board uh, as well. What, what are your thoughts as you're seeing this come to a head? Well, I mean, on the one hand, it's interesting what captures our attention. Uh, you know, I mean, out of Kingston, mm. they're saying you had maybe, you know, 120 or so rigs and maybe another 400, 500 cars heading up to Ottawa. That's actually smaller than a lot of protests we see at, at Queen's Park. I mean, obviously, they're getting people out along the route, but, you know, that's really captured our, our attention. But, you know, we maybe have seen, you know, similar protests on an ongoing basis in places like Parliament Hill and Queen's Park. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess what probably has, has helped capture that attention uh, is that you do have a bunch of people who are really angry with the way things are uh, going in Canada at the moment. And, you know, again, it's maybe a pretty small percentage of the population, but one that is really feeling aggrieved and, you know, will show up to uh, cheer on these uh, these trucks as they come through their community. Should uh, this be dismissed? Should they be painted with the same brush? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think we should dis- dismiss anyone using their, their democratic rights to, to go and protest and have their voice heard. So, you know, it's maybe not something to be dismissed, uh, but, you know, I guess it is worth thinking about uh, who, who it actually is. I mean, large sums of money have been raised to fund this. Uh, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of social media activity around it. So, you know, it's worth asking questions about, well, what's actually being asked for? Uh, you know, who's funding it? Uh, you, you know, are there, uh, you know, is there certain divisions within the Canadian body politic that, you know, foreign interests are trying to flame a bit with, you know, bots and so on. Uh, you know, so as with any kind of protest, it's worth asking questions about, well, what's being asked for, who's behind it, uh, you know, what's the nature of the politics of it. What about the political angle of this? How are the political parties reacting? Uh, what can they do to take this temperature down? Because, it, man, it, it just seems it's such a divisive thing to be going on over such a small segment of the population. Yeah, well, in a way, these protesters and the Trudeau government are objective allies in this. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. they, in a way, egg each other on and give each other oxygen. So, you know, I mean, we were speaking a few weeks ago about the, uh, you, know, you know, about whether people should be taxed if they don't get vaccinated. And, mm-hmm. you know, the question was, you know, was uh, Premier Legault in Quebec in this case kind of using the popular unhappiness with the unvaccinated to score political points and you know and so in this uh, context trudeau can kind of play a similar role and and really just you know dismiss these people and play on the sort of more extreme demands you know uh, i mean a number of the organizers of this rally for instance uh, you know more or less called for overturning uh, our democratic uh, elected parliament as a the source of making right. decisions in this country right so it's great for him to get up and you know be the voice of reason and the more he poses himself as a voice of reason, the more angry I think these people get because they feel that they are being, you know, dismissed or ridiculed by those in power. And that's, you know, part of what's motivating uh, their more general disposition to politics and, and their desire uh, to be present in Ottawa. 
Similar to uh, the the pebble throwing or the stone throwing incident along the campaign trail, if this does go off the rails, it will benefit the prime minister more than anyone else, will it not, as far as political parties? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if there was anything that went off the rails, I think it's a conservative party that really will pay the price. Uh, I mean, Aaron O'Toole has, has worked studiously to avoid really having much to say about this. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you have the former conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, who seems to be, uh, you know, taking them quite seriously and in some ways encouraging them. There's a number of other conservative MPs who have done the same thing. So, yeah, in a situation where things went off the rail, I think, uh, you know, questions would be asked of them. You know, generally, I think Canadians are taking the view that some of the extreme claims being made uh, around this uh, event are, you know, those of a relatively fringe group. Um you know, there's many people who are upset and tired of the, you know, anti-vaccination uh, protests, but, you know, don't necessarily see this as like democratically illegitimate. Um, but yeah, the moment things go off the rails, I think then the question will be, well, why didn't you take them seriously when they made a number of claims about, you know, challenging the power of parliament? Or, you know, when we, we hear these reports that a number of threatened members of parliament and their staff uh, you know, that coming from, uh, you know, from the uh, security service at the House of Commons themselves. So in that instance, then the people who have uh, been relatively open to engaging with them and encouraging them, I think, would be facing some pretty serious questions. Peter Grant with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. As always, Peter, thanks so much for the time. Be well. And you too. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Hey, I'm trying to sleep. You gotta yes. wake up the Prime Minister. Let's join this convoy. <laughs> Ripping down the highway. Hey, we're uh, playing trucker songs, so if you've got a trucker request, come on, Diane, I want something from you and the box heads. <laughs> Your favorite, phone the hubby up, ask him what his favorite trucking song is. Uh, it is 438, it's Hamilton Today, I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine is on the board and the horn, uh, playing the trucking songs. I'm never giving this horn up, Scott, you gave it to me. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Dave Woodard, Diana Weeks, William Erskine joining us all around the big round table to talk about the issues of the day. Uh, and we really wanted to talk about anything except politics, uh, but we have to f- uh, start with the poll question of the day. Uh, do you think the protests will remain peaceful? Ask the poll question of the day. You can find it on our Twitter page. 53% of you are saying no. Um, I think maybe people are hoping for that. It's something to, interesting to do. It was funny, you know, I, I was uh, watching, I'm watching the news while this is going on in, uh, Ottawa police are recommending that, uh, over the course of the weekend that all Ottawaians stay at home, which is what they do every weekend. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I've lived in Ottawa, and other than skate on the canal, there's not a lot to do downtown. So maybe lots of them are just going to go down to see the shiny trucks. I'm not sure. All right, Diana, we'll start with you. Do you think the protests will remain peaceful? I don't think we have any reason to believe they won't, but what are your thoughts? Um, I think the problem is the word remain. Um, I don't uh, think they're peaceful now. I don't know if you heard what's been going on to our colleagues across the yeah. country, but reporters are getting spit on. Um, they're getting pushed. A cameraman got attacked. Uh, we had a letter out from Global advising us to be careful, as well as the Canadian Association of Journalists that put out an alert to newsrooms. So as a journalist, uh, I'm thankful I work in the newsroom, but my heart goes out to those that are on the front lines covering this. So no, I don't think it's peaceful. 
Good point. All right, Dave, what are your thoughts? You think it will re- will remain peaceful? Yeah, 53% say no. I think in terms of like actual damage in Ottawa, I think it will be, but I'm with Diana on this. It's one of those things that especially for, you know, other journalists, it's been uh, very difficult to kind of go around. We know that uh, you know, our our political correspondent David Aiken is in Ottawa. Um, you know, so is Mercedes Stevenson, Amanda Connolly. They live there. That's their home. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're, uh, they're, they've got like the really hard job this weekend. Um, but in terms of actual violence and uh, on, you know, Parliament Hill, I don't think that there will be um, a whole lot that that will be. I mean, we'll report on it, of course, but I don't think anything will be uh, lasting. Uh, are you surprised it has come to this? And Diana, you brought up the uh, how they're reacting in, in the media, and we're we're hearing reports, and, and again, we're getting a lot of this uh, through through our station and such uh, colleagues that are being harassed uh, along the uh, the protest route and such. Are you surprised it's come to this? Why do you think it has, Diana? Well, I think that to be honest, I, I'm I'm going to step back a little bit here and say I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that. Yeah. have their heart in the right place and they mm-hmm. think that what they're doing is is right and and I mean that's that's great that's what freedom is and if they're doing it peacefully like all you know I I totally agree with that I think that this protest started out with the right intentions I don't think I think somewhere along the line it's become really fragmented uh, and yeah. certain extremist groups have kind of tagged on and that's unfortunate to people that were actually just trying to spread the message um, you know, of solidarity with truckers. So that that's more of what I was going to say. Uh, and I agree with Dave. I, I don't think tomorrow's going to result in, in, you know, a large violent episode or anything like that. I, I, I really hope that it does stay peaceful. Dave, you surprised that there are, you know, been attacks on the media? Um, not really. I mean, the, the way that things have been going... Uh both here and in the U.S. over the last few years is is people really kind of have turned on the media in terms of, you know, being uh, blaming us for things that are going on. I was saying something to a, a journalism professor, uh, you know, online that it, politicians used to be kind of seen as the the people who were, you know, the, the shady salespeople, and they've done a really hmm. great job on turning it back onto journalists. And now yeah, journalists are yeah. kind of... Uh, in the crosshairs, as it were. So I'm not surprised. Um, I am surprised that, you know, politicians are kind of, you know, to some degree pushing it as well. Will, you think it's going to remain peaceful? Uh, well, I, you know, tagging on with what Diana and Dave said and some of the stories we've been hearing from uh, from colleagues out in the field, uh, anytime you refer to something, an event like this, as will it, you know, be peaceful? How did it come out? They're always talking on average. Uh, there's already been events and there's already things that, you know, little things that it might take a while for people to hear the stories of, you know, how mm, things yeah. happened. But I think, and at least I'm hoping, it'll probably fizzle. Uh, for lack of a better term. I think they're going to be there, and I don't think it'll escalate much further than what it has been already, or at least that's the way I'm looking at it. All right, let's leave this in the rearview mirror. Let's talk some Thai cats. Brandon Speedy Banks, gone. Uh, very popular player. Huge impact on the city and the Thai cats. Your thoughts on where we are and where he is in his career right now, Diana? Yeah, well, I don't think they really made it clear where Speedy was going, unless mm-hmm. I missed something. But uh, in the release that was sent out yesterday, you know, Orlando Steinauer was saying, you know, it's really difficult for him to write. And I, I kind of got a little bit, you know, emotional reading Steinauer's yeah. uh, message there. Um, you know, obviously, Speedy Banks 
Shanks meant a lot to Hamilton and, and the Thai Cats franchise. And I think that, you know, we're losing a good one, but it's a mutual thing. So we wish him well. And uh, I just I'm curious to see where he's going, <laughs> what he's doing. But yeah. Dave, all is fair and love and sports. Uh, <laughs> your, your thoughts on the impact and, and uh, surprised. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised. But when you think about it, and I was listening to Rick Zamperin this morning talk uh, with Bill Kelly, and he was saying how, you know, when you look at, at the, the free agency coming up, you look at how much – uh, Brandon Banks is making, you know, yeah. you're going to be in a situation where you're not going to be able to re-sign him. So uh, I think it's the the best of, you know, the, the situation. And in terms of impact, there are like maybe two or three offensive players that have had the impact that Brandon Banks has had in terms of offense on this team in, in the history of the Ticats. And I think, um, you know, it, it, I think more and more that's going to come forward as, as we get beyond uh, you know, him being here, but I, I hope that he does resign somewhere else. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, ah, I want him to retire, but he's only 34. So who knows? Uh, and, you know, sometimes we, we forget that when we get emotionally uh, drawn to teams and players and such, sport is big business. And at the end of the day, yep. it's that's what you got to remember. All right. Thank you, Tableheads, Diana Weeks, Dave Woodard, and Will Erskine. <laughs> You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. I'm going to do a story about uh, COVID-19 instead. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah! Let's rock it. Uh, yeah, see, isn't that cool? All right, let's, let's crack the keg. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, where are we? Oh, yes. Um, so, obviously, restrictions open up on Monday, uh, 31st. We move to the first stage. That lasts uh, for, I believe, 21 days. Then uh, 21 days after that, uh, we're into the next, uh, one, two, and three, as we um, come out of uh, whatever we were in over the holidays uh, in regard to Omicron. So let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist, professor, School of Population, Public Health, Ryerson University. He is with us now. Tim, as always, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I certainly am, Scott. Thank you. So I noticed a couple of key statements uh, in this discussion, which has pretty much been the same for the last couple of years, uh, with the odd hope thrown in here as we get to vaccination and, and the, the vast amount of people we already have vaccinated. But uh, Dr. Kieran Moore and Dr. Bonnie Henry both said uh, this week that, uh, you know what, we got to pull back on this, on the protocol, and learn to live with this. And it got a lot of people upset. Um, because I don't know for whatever reason, but but what are your thoughts on the fact that these two prominent, uh, obviously health officials have arrived at this conclusion, and how is this being digested? Yeah, Scott, it's not. Uh, it wasn't really unexpected, but I think it came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of people listening. And in fact, just today, the uh, medical officer of health, the city of Toronto, said the same thing, and I think Arthur was saying the same thing as well. And in fact, you and I have mentioned this a couple of times in the last mm-hmm. couple of months. This thing has uh, this thing has taken over now. But uh, what we've got now is a is a population that are much much better uh, prepared, protected because of either previous infections or reinfections or more likely vaccinations and boosters on top of that. So given that lot of uh, uh, protection, give, given that lot of lot of immunity. 
um, uh, and and with the with the possibility of eradicating this virus long gone. I mean, this isn't going to go away like SARS one disappeared. This is so far embedded in the global population that it it's moving into an endemic phase. Much like think of um, you know you're entering into the the winter season and you know there's influenza and colds around and and you're going to probably get one of one or other of those things this season. That kind of uh, end. Uh, level. It seems that some want to continue on uh, with the direction we've been going for the last uh, couple of years, maybe not accepting where we are or being overly cautious about it. Are those uh, are those concerns valid? Or again, you look around the world and we just considering the amount of people we have vaccinated, we just seem to be so behind everybody else, doctor. Not really. Uh, yeah, we, we are f- way, way ahead of many other nations and populations. As far as being vaccinated, as far as being yeah. vaccinated and such, absolutely, I agree with that, Tim. But it seems that we, you know, we're no longer locking down to save us from COVID nineteen. We're locking down to save a healthcare system. So why don't we start directing our attention to that? That being the underfunded healthcare system, as opposed to a, d- a disease that seems to be running its own course, simply because we're f- we've got so many people vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. When you sort of take a deep breath and and look around at the at the wasteland, you know, the battlefield that's been going on for the last couple of years. There's so many changes need to be taken uh, on here. There's so many alterations that that we weren't ready for in the beginning, and we're going to have to do that now. Uh, I mean, the main push right now to to uh, prevent the onward spread. You'll notice that nobody is looking over their shoulder now to find out where this thing came from. If you happen to be positive, contact tracing is gone now. We can't possibly do it. But we're stopping now the forward spread of it for two reasons, two populations. One is the population of of those people who want to be vaccinated, but they can't because of their underlying conditions, even the frail and the elderly. And the other, of course, are the the, the medical staff because those hospitals became very, very close to, and we've got to protect those. Otherwise, for the vast majority of people, uh, we're going to move into this area where where this will become really the fifth. We've already had four coronaviruses that are are with us every year. This will be the fifth one. And uh, it'll be it'll it'll fade. It, the virus hasn't changed, but the population has changed. It's become more immune to it. You remember when the first settlers arrived from Europe into North America? Even things like the the cold and the flu were deadly to the people who lived here, simply because they weren't protected. Well, that's the that's that's what we that's what will happen to the unvaccinated. You'll you'll occasionally see little bushfires and little outbreaks going on. That's the virus sort of zapping those who steadfastly refuse to be vaccinated. But the vast majority of us may or may not encounter it, may not even notice that we've been infected, and uh, this is the way it'll move on from now on. You talked about uh, testing, tracing, tracking, contact, and such, uh, and obviously we're seeing that in schools too. Uh, the reporting is not going on anymore, and a lot of people are complaining about that, but they don't seem to be understanding why that is happening, and that being that it's just simply overwhelmed. I remember having the head of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board on, and and he was saying, you know, once we started having to report all of this, he knew that sooner or later you're going to hit a, a train wreck because there just isn't the resources, the staff available to do it all once so many people get the disease. Can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah, uh, for individual people, like you or I certainly begin uh, positive uh, testing because there's not a lot of testing going on either. That's half the problem. But where we get a situation in an institution, say a school's got suddenly four or five or six people reported in one day, then now we've got a little cluster and there probably will be some contact tracing there to find mm -hmm. out uh, who is the first one. Or if we get a result from a baseball or a, a basketball match or something, there's a, a clearly identified little cluster that we can go and say, well, let's have the list of everybody who was there. But for individual people, such as we've been doing in the health departments up to now, the Hamilton Wentworth uh, Department have been doing this, uh, we, won't, we just don't have the, the manpower to go back and trace every in individual. Because you, you've got 10 contacts, they've already got 10, 10 contacts going yeah. back over the last two weeks. It's impossible. But the forward, preventing the forward, this is why if you, if you are uh, positive or you even look like you're positive or if you've got all the symptoms on the list, they say, okay, we'll take you as positive isolate for five days if you've been vaccinated and uh, if you're non-vaccinated it's isolate for 10 days this kind of forward stopping approach is going to be the way to do it dr timothy sly epidemiologist professor school of public uh school of population and public health ryerson tim as always thanks so much for the time be well it's my pleasure scott bye-bye all right, we've been asking you to call in and leave us your thoughts here's another clip from a listener uh in regard to all of this Hey, Scott, uh, just wanted to comment. Yesterday, I was uh, at Langstaff and the 400, about 1130, and I happened to see a whole bunch of people with flags going to the overpass and uh, got out of my car, walked over, spent about 10 or 15 minutes, and in my estimation, it was the same crowd who would show up for Team Canada when they'd won at the Olympics. They were pushing strollers. They were having a good time. They were honking their horns and enjoying themselves and happy to support other Canadians. My second comment is, what do you call somebody who instigates a hockey fight, trash talks the opponent, and then go and, goes and hides in the dressing room? Answer, Prime Minister. Hamilton today on an all-request Friday. You want something or leave your mark about what is happening in the world? 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900chml.com. Will Erskine on the board, Diana and Dave in the newsroom. And joining us now, uh, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, managing director of Abacus Data. And with us now, Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, I'm well, Scott. I have to tell you, here in Ottawa... I didn't get caught behind the convoy today. I had the very Ottawa experience of getting caught behind two garbage trucks. So I only had <laughs> irritation with the municipality, not the truckers. Oh, so what's it like there? You're a man on the street. What, what are you seeing? Is there anything? I'm not out on the street. We're in our 13th day of an extreme cold warning. But for those yes. who are out on the street, um, I've... Uh, seen some reports of downtown. I'm just about I'm to situate you. I'm about five to seven kilometers away from Parliament Hill where the demonstration is. I'm in the West, what they call the Westboro era, area of Ottawa. Um, some of the protesters are now here. There is some action up on Parliament Hill, but all very civilized, I gather. I will tell you again how, uh, what, what I've seen so far in terms of behavior. Um, my son uh, goes to an aftercare uh, facility 
in downtown. His school is downtown, about a kilometer from uh, from Parliament Hill. They ask parents to pick the kids up early. The aftercare center is now a staging area for police in the event um, they are required. So from just that very experience, I can tell you that the, the city is preparing for all eventualities, it would seem. Uh, are you surprised it has come to this? Did we have to get here? Well, I don't know what here is yet, right? Um, yeah. So let's see see what that is first. I mean, I, I've heard re- one report yesterday, for example, suggests that there were going to be so many uh, vehicles here and so many people here that there would be a 20-kilometer lineup. So basically going from Parliament Hill to the Canadian Tire Centre where the Ottawa Senators play. There's no evidence that that is the case at the moment. Um, the, the biggest complaint, again, I've heard so far is people uh, not having bathrooms to urinate in. So the uh, the nation's capital has become one big toilet. There's probably a good <laughs> metaphor there, Scott, for that. So I, I don't of- know what it is yet to, to say, am I surprised if we're here or not? I'm not surprised to see people come to Ottawa to express their frustrations with government. I just don't know who those people are going to end up being tomorrow when this thing is supposed to be at its pinnacle. And that's my next point. Uh, it started with the protest between uh, regarding truckers crossing into Canada and back and forth, U.S. borders, uh, and being vaccinated. Now it seems that every uh, Tom, Dick, and, and Harry has jumped on board this now. Is this become a metaphor for frustration? What about the changing? You know, I, I don't think anybody really knows what the message is here yet. Well, if you, so let's deconstruct that a little bit. If you are, if you're the, so let facts again are important here. Canadian Trucking Association tells us 90% of truckers are vaccinated. Yep. It's 10% who are not. So if you're part of that 10% and you wanted to come to Ottawa and tell your story of the frustration you feel and why you feel it's unjust, it's getting harder for you to do that because of what you just said. It seems others are jumping on board all of this. And it's a strange way to do this to try and engender public support. We're all in the same boat. We're all frustrated here in Ontario. As you know, we're still in some form of a lockdown, at least until Monday. You're not going to win friends and influence people, to to quote Dale Carnegie, this weekend if you make it impossible for the residents of this city uh, to get around and to do things. And the other thing, by the way, the parliamentarians aren't here. They're normally not here on Friday. They're not back in Parliament as because we're still going to have some form of hybrid Parliament. That doesn't start until Monday. So it seems just like a an, an uncoordinated attempt to show a frustration without a lot of forethought as to how the audience you're hoping to appeal to might feel. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry uh, from BC, Dr. Karen Moore from Ontario this week said, hey, it's time for move to move on on all of this. Mm-hmm. It's time to live life with COVID as opposed to run from it. Um, it seems that the prime minister has created quite a divisiveness over a small portion of the population. Um, uh, are you surprised? Well, let me ask no, you this. I, is, is, look, go I, ahead. Go ahead. I, Sorry, I was going to say, I didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. It is your show, after all, and this isn't a protest. It's two guys talking. Um, I, I, I think it's not just the prime minister. I think some of our federal leaders have been too quick to seek political opportunity in this. So from the prime minister describing whatever this is as, as fringe coming to Ottawa and not trying to address, as any good leader should, what all the anger is about. Uh, Aaron O'Toole also saying 
you know, and some of his people, they're going to stand with the truckers and, 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 and encouraging people within this group who, to be perhaps more uh, reckless than, than they otherwise would be. So politicization is happening on all sides, and that doesn't solve the anger, the frustration that these people have. We all have, and I think we'd all like to see some leadership from all of these leaders that's more about addressing the solutions than inflaming them, because we are also stretched that inflaming uh, anger right now could have a very negative outcome. Well, hopefully that's not the case here this weekend, but I think we need to put fires out, not throw gasoline on them. But that being said, Tim, if this, and, and hopefully it doesn't, heaven forbid if this goes off the rails, this plays mm-hmm. into the prime minister's hands. I mean, this is much like the, yep. the stone-throwing incident on the campaign. If this goes off the rails, the prime minister looks great. He does, and that, you know, he may do a victory lap around that, but that's not a victory lap because as we saw in the campaign, as we may be seeing here this weekend, we do have a, we can dismiss this segment of Canadians and some of them perhaps ought to be dismissed or discouraged because of their really extreme views, but they don't represent all of the people who are feeling disconnected. And so the danger is if we continue to disconnect people who we can reconnect with, that's a problem. So I have to be very mindful around all of that. Uh, really quickly, not much time left. Uh, a listener asked me, uh, why is Justin Trudeau uh, quarantining if uh, you're not, if you test negative and you're not showing symptoms, you don't have to quarantine? Is it different in Ottawa? We're still, I thought, well, I, I don't know. I, I That question was asked earlier, and I don't know if there's a, more details we don't know. But my understanding was if you were fully vaxxed, and you had contact but tested negative, you were free to go about. So yeah. I have the same understanding as your listener, and I don't know the answer to that question. We've not been given that yet. Tim Powers, Chairman of Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thanks for the time. Try to have a great weekend there. Oh, I'm going to run into the convoy, Scott, and get you some good visuals and sound. How about that? That'll be great. Ask to pull a horn, you know, start cranking a horn on. It'll be great. Just like a kid. I'll take an, I'll take an 18-wheeler down to Hamilton to see you all. Take care. I, I would love that. Tim, thanks. Thanks for the time, Tim. All right. Uh, to talk more about um, the public relations side of this, where this is all going, the political side of uh, the convoy, and even Elon Musk. Uh, jumping on board and weighing in on all of this. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. She is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Uh, your thoughts on uh, where we are? Uh, obviously, um, what often happens in protests, it gets hijacked by the extremes, and uh, those are the messages that we hear as opposed to perhaps the original messages uh, that have, have gotten lost. Um, do, we, do we listen to what these protesters have to say? Uh, are, we, are, we, uh, do, are we being naive if we don't listen? Yes, I think we are being naive if we don't listen. I think you always have to listen to other sides, what other people are thinking, or else you're just living in an echo chamber, just listening to like-minded individuals who believe as you do. However, that's not way, the way the world runs. And I think we all learned in 2016 when Donald Trump became president, we're thinking, wait a minute, who are these people who voted for this guy and why? Well, nobody was listening. I mean, they heard, but they weren't listening. But now you need to listen. Do we paint all of these people with the same brush? A bunch of uh, right wing wackos that, you know, want to bring back, I want to recreate January 6th in Ottawa. 
Well, you know, I hold some pretty strong feelings on this, Scott. And unfortunately, I think the fringe element of this has really taken over the narrative. And that's, that's, that's been happening over and over again. You know, you always get a political point of view. And this, po- and this whole thing has been politicized. But the groups that tend to get the most notoriety, it tends to be the a smaller percentage of which this is, but they are very powerful and they are, they are very vocal. And what they're asking for, I mean, you know, some of them have been calling for insurrection. And one of the yeah. leaders, who's an avowed white nationalist, uh, even went on that. Uh, and it's on uh, Twitter and it's on tape that you can see and says, well, if we have to use guns, then we're just going to have to use guns. Yeah. Well, no. So this is what is the prime minister. Us. Is the prime minister inflaming that is the prime minister inflaming that by appealing to the fringe? I mean, my God, he's called people who didn't want to get vaccinated misogynistic. He's called them racist. This is the last 10 percent of the population uh, who, who, who decide they're not going to get vaccinated for whatever reason, or they can't get vaccinated, or they're fearful, or they're ignorant, or they're whatever. Why are we, why is he dividing this country over such a small percentage of the population? Is he throwing fuel on this fire? Well, whenever you call people, people names, you throw fuel on the fire. Do you remember Hillary Clinton in one of her campaign speeches says... Deplorables. Okay, the, the basket of deplorables. Well, yeah. those words have forever haunted her. And yes, there are people who may have agreed with her, but still there were too many, a lot of people who were not that happy with her. So as a result, you can't divide people by calling people names. I mean, the issue is, is that we need people vaccinated. The other issue is, is that if you are going into the state, you have to be vaccinated, and that includes truckers. Yeah. So yeah. what has happened is that the narrative has absolutely splintered. And what the worrying part about all of this, Scott, is is that a friend of mine, I just noticed on her Instagram, posted this very, it was a very sort of uh, patriotic with, you know, moving music, and it was all about, you know, this rally and the convoy and people standing on bridges and waving flags. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would have thought it was a positive rally. So, you know, by picking and choosing the good parts, you can't ignore all the negativity that surrounds this. Has this become a metaphor for frustration? Um, you know, another it, it, people are angry. People are frustrated. People are vaccinated. They've done their part. They want to move on. Dr. Bonnie Henry out of BC, Dr. Kieran Moore out of Ontario, both said this week, it is time to learn to live with this and move on. And they were criticized for saying such words. And they're from the science table. Um, again, are we focusing on the fringes as opposed to the 90% that are vaccinated? And again, I go back to this. People, people are being locked down, not because of the dangers of COVID-19 and it could kill you. People are being locked down because this is flooding the healthcare system and our poor healthcare workers are exhausted. They've been asking for help for decades and we keep ignoring them. But instead of addressing that, we're vilifying a small percentage of the population who will never get vaccinated is this not all just a distraction well some of it is you know when you talk about are we paying too much attention to the issue uh, look this is the most clickbaitable issue that there is and this is a newsworthy issue so you know and all the truckers were gathering at a mall not too far away from where i live 
and you have to know that every news chopper and 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 van was out yeah. there covering it. So they're getting a ton of ton of publicity. They have a GoFundMe page, which has now raised millions of dollars. I don't know who's donating, but obviously a lot of people are donating. But I, I think that you know I've been listening to a lot of talk radio about this, Scott, and people calling in, and for the most part. For the most part, yes, there are some angry people who are calling in, but for the most part, people are angry at this fringe element who seems to be flouting our sense of democracy. So you just can't show up on the foot of Parliament Hill and expect that there's going to be any change, especially when you have to turn back around and go back into the states and abide by the same rules. So I think yeah, what's yeah. happened here is that they're fanning flames of people who do believe in d- democracy, Maybe you don't like the guy running the country, but we still have rules and they're not overturned because some people get really, really angry and to decide to have a sit in in their truck. And I need to tell you, nobody is back to work in downtown Ottawa, Scott. It's a ghost town there. So, you know, they can stay as long as they want. But I think that a lot of businesses are also closing so that they don't have to confront them. So I'm not sure. I mean, yes, this is, um, you know, supporting people who do are sick of the pandemic, but I think there's better ways to do it. And even though, yes, a large part of the, of the country is vaccinated, but in sheer numbers, when you talk about sheer numbers, Scott, that's who's showing up in the hospitals, okay? That's who's showing up in the ICUs. And two to one, they're unvaccinated, maybe even larger percentage than two to one. It's the unvaccinated. So you were, we are going to have to learn how to deal with this. And when Kieran Moore says that, what he's saying is, is that while the variants come and go, it's like when we different we deal with different strains of the flu. Now, I'm not equating the flu with COVID right now, but I mean, when yeah. it gets into an endemic stage, there's a different flu that emerges every year, and we try to guess which vaccine is going to yeah. be the best fight against it. So I think that's what he means by learning to live with it, but that certainly doesn't give license to people to say, okay, January 6th was my motivating factor. If they can do it there, we can do it here. Again, Alyssa, I think this is a giant distraction from the fact that we have 10,000 people in hospital across the country. 1,200 of those are in ICU. We have a population... We have a population of 38 million and we're collapsed. We're collapsed with uh, 12,000 people in hospital, a, a country of 38 million people. That is what needs to be addressed. And this is all a distraction. Uh, just my thoughts, Alyssa. You have yourself well, a great weekend. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa, as always. Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Scott Radley show coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. You can also read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. What What did I do so special to get the theme song for Smokey and the Bandit? Oh, buddy, you should have been listening all afternoon. We played the theme from Moving On, uh, right? Smokey and the Bandit. We played Six Days on the Road by Dave Dudley. It's been kicking, man. I've been loving Excellent. this. How about the theme song from BJ and the Bear? B.J. McKay and his best friend, Bear. Remember the TV show? Oh, man. You had to take this to that level, didn't you? <laughs> really? Judy, Judy I don't Landers remember. In that show, if I recall correctly. Who? Judy Landers. Oh, well, One of the go. Landers twins. Oh, come on. Look it up if you don't remember. I can't believe <laughs> Scott Thompson. I, I, also, I also don't remember the theme from B.J. and the Bear, or is it being no, I anywhere near as cool? Go ahead. Sing it, because I was singing along to most of these. No, I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know what you can do? Maybe we'll see if we can play it on the screen test tonight at 7.30 if people want to call in and play. Maybe we'll see if we can get BJ and the Bear included. 
Wow. Yeah. No, on it. We got tons. Will's got tons of songs. He'll forward them on to you, man. It, yeah. Just go for it. You have a truck. In, I was, I, I kept playing, music. I kept playing, uh, Will and Sonny over and over again. I was absolutely loving it. All right. Yeah, no. Uh, we've, sorry, we've talked about this for uh, a couple of days now. Uh, your thoughts, have they changed any on where we are heading into this weekend? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm just disgusted it's come to this point. I think we've got a divisive prime minister. Um, and we don't even need to be here, but your thoughts about where we are. Well, uh, look, we talked about it yesterday. We are divided. We're hope we're horribly divided. And it's because we've turned this thing into a political thing. And it's the fault of both sides. It's not just the fault of one side. It's the fault of both sides. But that said, though, we do have one party that's in power and that's your leader. And that's the person who I think uh, and again, I would say the exact same thing if it was the other party or one of the other parties in power. If you're the leader, part of your role is to bring people together, to unify rather than divide. And so, and let's remember, you know, 90% of us are vaccinated. So we're all pointing and peeing on a small group of people. I mean, right. and let's be honest, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dr. Kieran Moore said, hey, it's time to move on. It's time to bulk up our hospital system, which is the real problem now, and move on. And instead, we're like looking at these small, this small amount of people and calling them misogynistic and racist. I know, now, but obviously, there's fringe elements of this, but we can't paint everybody with the same brush. You're right. And but here's the thing. So, yes, 90 percent are vaccinated. So that means 90 percent probably feel the same way. But, you know, we in this I don't think I don't agree with that because like Ken Mann's out there yesterday and he's he's talking to people who are watching this protest go by and they're fully vaccinated, but they have support for these people because. No, no, no. What I'm saying is 90 percent of people believe in the vaccine. I believe yeah. whether you believe in the mandate or not. I'm saying yeah. that most of us believe in the vaccine and that's whatever. So the mandate is a different thing. But here's the problem I have with all this right now. We in this country pride ourselves on being a place where you are allowed to express yourself. We have protests on both sides of the political spectrum. We do. In fact, I recall a year or two ago, our prime minister at the beginning of COVID going to a protest and taking a knee in a protest that not everyone in the country country agreed. But we said, you have in this country, as long as it's peaceful, and as long as you're not damaging anything, you have the right to protest and to make your case. And we don't have to agree with you, but you are allowed to do that. That's one of the things we pride ourselves on is the freedom to do that. So the disappointment I have in this is that because this is not something that you might agree with, doesn't to me mean that we should say, well, you must then be shut down or you're a lunatic or you must be this or you must be that. We allow this stuff and you don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with the protests that are going on, but as long as they're following the laws, we allow, that's what we do. And unfortunately, with this one and with a few other ones, what seems to happen is if you fall afoul of the com- more commonly held view of the majority view, we've now seemed to move to the territory where we say, well, you therefore are a pick your yeah. word, and we yeah. disparage yeah. everybody. And I don't have to agree with you, but I do, I believe, I do have to say, but that's okay. Just don't burn stuff to the ground. Don't smash stuff. Don't yeah. whatever. And you're allowed to do that because we allow that stuff. And, and that to me, it, it's, it's troubling when that is where we move away from. And we say now, no, you're only going to be allowed to do stuff 
that the majority agree with. Because then, what's the point of us even having a Charter of Rights? The whole point of the Charter of Rights is to protect those who potentially would not be in the majority and would have a view that isn't mm. held by everybody. Yeah. Also, to throw into this for tonight for you, um, many have been calling and asking or, or sending me a note, and I asked Tim Powers this in Ottawa, and he agreed. Um, uh, the, the Prime Minister is in quarantine because a member of his family has tested positive uh, for COVID-19. However, the Ontario regulations are, as long as you test negative and you're not showing symptoms, you don't have to quarantine. Do you think it's odd he is? Scott, I'm going to go back to the same thing I've said a bunch of times. This is a political thing as much as anything else. I, I think that if you're a politician right now, half of what you're doing is performance art. Yeah. And <laughs> so you are, you are doing this because I got to be able to show that I have gone to the nth degree to be safe yeah. or whatever, because if you don't and someone then sees you, they're going to call you out on it. So now we're having politicians do stuff that's not even reasonable necessarily because they're afraid of being criticized for not doing something. Look, it's become in so many ways, this thing has become political theater. It yep. is still a medical and health issue, but we've, we've in, un, we cannot untangle now the politics and the health. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley show coming up and columnist with your Hamilton spectator. Thanks as always, Scott, have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Thanks to Diana and Dave and Will for producing. As always, we leave it to you, the CHML listener, for the last word. The only truckers that will do any good in Ottawa this weekend will be the guys that operate Beaver Tail, Montreal Smoke Meat, and Poutine Food Trucks. And skate sharpening. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.